Well, thank you so much for having me. It is just such a pleasure to be here. You know, I've known Dave, like we said, for 25 years, and we've uh, prayed together, and we were in seminary together, and I've heard of this church, and I've heard of the wonderful people who are here praising God's name each, each week, but I'm finally so glad to be able to see you, and it's such a pleasure to be able to be here. Um, a, a few years ago, I got to come to Dubai just to visit with Dave and his family, but I didn't actually get to see the church, and so it is good to see you all together. And I don't know if, if your first experience coming to Dubai was like mine, but I was, I was a little bit overwhelmed by everything. David told me about it, but you know, I came in on an Emirates flight, which to me was the nicest plane I'd ever been on and the nicest airplane food I'd ever had, and everything felt very fancy. And as, as we are flying over the city, I can see all these giant buildings, and I can see fountains, and I can see things out in, in the water being built. And I think, wow, I kind of wish my city was more like this. I mean, Dallas is OK, but it's nothing like Dubai. And so I saw that now I'm landing in the world's greatest and biggest airport. And I'm just kind of amazed by everything, looking around at what it all looks like. And then I went down this little big escalator. And, and, and then I had something that kind of, kind of upset my view a little bit. I went into one of the bathrooms there. I went to go wash my hands. And afterward, I, I went to go pull a paper towel down. And there were no paper towels in the paper towel dispenser. And so I looked around, and I saw that there were no paper towels anywhere except on a cart with a man who was a worker. But he was, he was not yet ready to work that day. And so he was just kind of sitting there by himself. And so I looked over, and there was one other person who was with me in the bathroom, also looking for paper towels. And we, we looked at each other, and we looked at the man with the paper towels. And he looks at me, and he just says, even here, that this is the same everywhere, that it looks opulent and beautiful from one extent. But as you get to know it, the world is a very different place. And so I think the eyes that we have to see the city as we, as we become eyes uh, that have a, a generous eyes or a good eyes, this is a great time of year for us to be able to think about how it is that we view our lives. Do we see them as God sees them? And do we see the people around us as God sees them? And I think that we're in the, in the second gathering of the year at the new year, maybe the first gathering of the year, you begin to think about what you want to accomplish this year. Maybe some of you set New Year's resolutions and you have some goals. Well, I, I had had some, some New Year's resolutions, but I, I basically, this second uh, gathering of the year, I've already failed at several of them. So I had set a goal to, to watch what I was eating a little bit more, and I went to work the, the second day of the year, and I, I counted all of my calories. And basically what I found out is that I, I eat too many calories every day. I, I counted that out, and I proved that to myself, and I, I didn't actually manage to change anything. And then I had had a, a desire to, to run more and to exercise some more. And so on, on last Saturday, I got my gym clothes on. I got all ready. I got on my shoes. And the only exercise I did that day was getting up from the couch and going to the refrigerator and getting a snack and then going back to the couch. That was all I managed to accomplish. And even worse, I, I spent some time doing some programming and I worked on this year uh, a website called BibleReadingPlanGenerator.com, where you can generate a Bible reading plan. So you can select the books you want and the days of the week you want to read. And so I spent some time on this, and I had some feedback, and I spent some time on it the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And I realized that I'd probably spent more time making a Bible reading plan generator than actually reading the Bible in the first few days of the year. So if you're like me, you thought, man, there's all these grand plans that you have. And yet, when you look at it, you go, maybe I'm not accomplishing all of those. And so this is a great time for us to take stock of our own lives and think about what direction we're going and how do we view it. And interestingly, if we, if we think about the last few decades in most developed countries around the world, like the US and like Dubai, and most countries like ours, believe it or not, there's some good news that a lot of the worst crimes in the world are actually going down. So there's lower murder happening and, and lower uh, violent crimes and even lower teenage pregnancy. But at the same time, there's a rise in some other dark, dark things happening. 
There's a rise in anxiety. There's a rise in depression. There's a rise in suicide. There's a rise in a, in a darkness in our souls that seems to be pervading all kinds of developed countries. And there seems to be a growing consensus that one of the reasons for this may be the little glowing rectangles that we have in our pockets, right? And the things that we're consuming that are coming into our eyes every day. That in some, that in some ways there is all kinds of, of evil on this device that we're constantly pouring into our, our eyes. And at the same time, not just the evil that we shouldn't see, but also that we each see four to 5,000 images every day that tell us about what kind of life we should want to have. We see what other people eat. We see the vacations that they go on. We see their best moments. And sometimes that causes in us a kind of darkness that I believe Jesus is talking about in these passages. So I think for us, the way we deal with these images and these stories, if we look at a certain kind of unhappiness and unfulfillment in our own life, the reason for this is not because you don't have that thing that you want, but because of the way you view those things that you have. So if there is a part of your life that you think you are missing out on, it's not about the, the you missing out on that thing. It's about the way you view the things that you do have. So in our passage today in, in Matthew chapter 6, like Dave mentioned, this is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus has given us the Beatitudes and he's given us the Lord's Prayer and here in this section, he talks a lot about the value of, of money, and he gets, sets us up with some opposites. He talks about treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. He talks about healthy eyes and bad eyes. He talks about light and darkness. He talks about serving God or serving mammon. And in the midst of these, these illustrations about our view of money, he has this concept of our eyes and if they are not healthy. So in, in the first example, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus kind of gives us two reasons for this. He gives us a, a practical reason and a spiritual reason. And the practical reason is just that earthly things end up getting the moths come and the, roth and the rust comes and thieves come in to break and destroy. That if you, if you have any possessions in your life, you know that it takes a lot of effort to maintain them. And whatever device you get that might be new at one point, later on it will be obsolete. That things break and things, things wear out. And the peril of possession ends up being maintenance. And Jesus is saying, the more you accumulate for yourself, the tougher it's going to get to maintain these things. But not only does he give us a practical thing, he also gives us a spiritual direction here where he's saying that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That the things that you seek after day after day, that is the thing that's going to capture your heart and direct you and determine whether or not you're filled with light or filled with darkness. And then he ends the passage saying that you cannot serve two masters. You'll either hate the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think what Jesus is telling us here in a different way is to say that your ultimate call is to serve God. And you can use money and your talent, your accomplishments in service of God. But if that money and that service and, that, and those accomplishments, if money becomes your God, then you'll use God in service of those things. So we can serve God and use money in service of, of him, or we can serve money and use God to serve those and in the midst of these two illustrations about treasures on earth and treasures in heaven and serving God and serving money, Jesus focuses on our eyes as the linchpin that makes all of these things work. And so he starts out with uh, this statement in this familiar passage where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
Now, in the, in the ancient world, uh, we, we think of the eye as a kind of light source, just like a lamp was, and the two would meet. And so for an ancient person, um, the lamp would have been a, a major part, a big deal in their life, kind of like a phone is for us. You know, most of us at night, if we need to find something, we turn on the flashlight on our phone. For an ancient person, the lamp was their, was their lifeline in the dark. And in the long, long uh, summer day, long, long summer nights, the, the lamp was a, was a major part of who they were. So Jesus takes this idea that our, that our eyes look out and they have a kind of light, and he begins to flip this metaphor to some extent. But he's drawing on an ancient, uh, an ancient Hebrew thought about how important the eyes are. So in Psalm 36, it says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much, and they can no longer detect sin or hate in their own hearts. So Jesus, Jesus is drawing on these ideas that what our eyes can see and how we attune them, what we train them to see, will determine who we are. And throughout the Old Testament, blindness serves as a metaphor for spiritual growth. So God cares for the blind. He says we should not put stumbling blocks in front of the blind because we fear God. So he cares for people who are, who are physically blind. And he also says that priests cannot be blind to go into the tabernacle. But at the same time, Jesus spends a lot of time thinking about those who are spiritually blind. So he says of some of the Pharisees that they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, then both will fall into a pit. And Paul, too, when he was blinded to seeing who Jesus was, he could not recognize Jesus as his savior, and he persecuted the church. That what God did before he made him spiritually alive, he made him physically blind. And then during that moment, he opened his spiritual eyes to see who Jesus was, and then restored his sight. So throughout scripture, this concept of, of your eye and of blindness and of sight is so important. And so in that context of, of that, then Jesus makes this really interesting statement. He says, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So what does this mean for our eyes to be healthy? If you have a, a different translation, um, you'll see that in some translations like the King James, it says, if your eye is single, in the New American Standard, it says if your eye is clear, and it contrasts that with a bad eye. But most modern translations use the word healthy and sometimes unhealthy or bad. So, so what is going on here? Well, in the Old Testament Hebrew mind, there was an, a, an idiom of a good eye versus a bad eye. And I want to read you a, a, a passage in Proverbs, Proverbs 22, 9, where it uses this metaphor. It says, he who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Well, that word that is translated in your Bible, generous, is actually literally good eye. So what it's saying is he who has a good eye is blessed because he gives some of his food to the poor. So to have a good eye is to have a generous eye, to see the world for what it's worth and to serve those who have less than you. Proverbs 28, 22 likewise says, a man with a bad eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him eventually. So this is why if you have an NIV Bible or say a net Bible, when it says healthy, there'll be a little note. And it says what's, what, what the sense here is, is that, is that a, a healthy eye is a generous eye and that a bad eye is a stingy eye, one that is not generous. 
Jesus picks up this metaphor again later in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 20 in the parable where there is a vineyard owner who goes out and finds some workers. So he finds some workers in the morning who work all day, some workers in the middle, in the middle of the day, and some workers at the end. And so they work different lengths of time. And at the end of the day, he pays them all the exact same amount. And those workers who had worked 10 or 11 or 12 hours compared themselves to the workers who had only worked for, for one hour, and they got a little bit frustrated. And so the owner of the vineyard says, says to them, he says, are you envious because I am generous? And again, that word that gets translated as envious in your Bible is actually literally bad eye. It's saying, do you have a bad eye because I am good? And so friends, the question for us this morning is, do you have a bad eye because God has been good to those around you? Or do you see the world as God sees them? So I think what we can begin to see from this passage is that a person with a bad eye sees only what, it, what he doesn't have. But a person with a generous eye sees what he does have as a gift from God. So to have a bad eye is to see only what you don't have, and to have a generous eye is to see what you have as a gift from God. And so, so I picture, say, um, a modern, a modern uh, movie like a superhero like Iron Man or Spider-Man or, or a video game, right? They have this kind of heads-up display in front of them, and there's little circles on each of the people around them, and it gives them some details about them. I think this is what we're constantly doing with our own eyes and our own life. So I know sometimes when, I, when I'm driving around in a city, I look over and there's part of me that says, the car next to you is much nicer than your car. And perhaps for you, as you look around, you think, her husband still has a full head of hair and mine doesn't. Or you look around and you say, well, he gets better grades on every test than I do. And, and that determines your worth. Or if you're like my kids, it says, your, my, my daughter would say that, my, my, my brother's scoop of ice cream is 6% bigger than mine. And she would be a little bit frustrated about that. So we're constantly looking at that. We're saying, are, do you see the world in a healthy way or do you see it in a sick way? Do you see it in a generous way or do you see it in a stingy way? This can bring out the best of us or the worst of us. But Jesus also begins to mix this metaphor a little bit more deeply because in the Hebrew world, there was this concept of a good eye. But in the Greek world in which he was speaking, because he's in a world much like our own with a bunch of different cultures all mixed together and different languages. And so these idioms begin to get mixed in the metaphor. So rather than using the Greek word of kalos, which would literally mean a good eye, he uses the word haplus, which means singular. And so in the Greek mind, there was an idea of a person who has a singular heart, which would be contrasted with someone who has a double heart. So in Psalm 12, it says, they speak falsehood to one another. With flattering lips and with a double heart, they speak. So to have a singular heart is to be focused, and to have a double heart is to have a mixture there. Paul talks about a double-minded man. I'm sorry, James talks about a double-minded man who is unstable in all he does. And Paul praises the person with a single heart. So Jesus is drawing on this, and he's saying that if you have a single eye, not only will you be generous in your outlook, but you'll also be focused and have a kind of integrity. You know, and, and in my own life, I, I know I've failed at this so many times. Even just this, this past Christmas break, I live in the city of Dallas, and I drove down to the city of San Antonio in Texas, and I saw my, my brother and my family for Christmas. So we had a bunch of aunts and uncles, and we had cousins, and we were going to have a great time. And my brother is doing very well in his business. I'm so proud of him. 
And he rented for us this big, giant kind of party bus to where we all got on board, all the aunts and uncles and all the cousins and grandma. And he got us pizza and he got us all kinds of drinks and hot chocolate. And we went all throughout San Antonio and saw all kinds of great sights and got off in stops and got to go uh, ice skate. And it was such a fun time. But over the course of the evening, I could feel this little thing in the back of my heart that said, you know, I want to have a party bus, you know? And I could hear God saying, but you're on a party bus. You're literally on a party bus right now. And I was thinking, but no, I don't, I don't want to just be on a party bus. I want to be the one who has a party bus, who provides it for everybody else. And then I realized that just in the, those moments that I was having a stingy eye, that I was looking at what I didn't have rather than being grateful for what I did have. So John Piper writes this. He says, in other words, a good eye is a valuing eye, a discerning eye, a treasuring eye. It does not just see facts about money and God. It doesn't just perceive what is true and untrue. It sees beauty and ugliness. It senses value and worthlessness. It discerns what is truly desirable and what is undesirable. And so when I think about the story that is constantly given to us about the world, you may have internalized this in some way, that if you can just get a good education, you'll get a good job. And if you can get a good job, that you'll have enough money to buy a good house and a nice car. And you'll be able to get an attractive spouse and have attractive children. They'll go to a great school and make money and provide for you, and you'll go on great vacations. This is the cycle that we're constantly in, that the world is constantly telling us, this is what your life is about, and if you don't have it, that you should feel sad. And what you find is that if you don't have it, you feel sad. And if you have it, you feel sad, right? Because this is not the story that God has ultimately given us. The story that God gives us is much grander. And it's something that we've been reciting and telling ourselves today as we read scripture. That if you pull out in your bulletin the, the black summary of the gospel here, we see that God created this world to be good and to be beautiful with oceans and mountains and deserts and wonderful things and says, humans, you are made in our image. You are made in God's image. And you are to tend to my creation and to make babies and to fill the earth. But we added sin to the mix here. And we brought in here evil and suffering. And there are sins that are done to us and sins that we do to other people. But God, in his kindness, initiates a rescue plan. And he builds up the nation of Israel. And through that nation, he sends his own son, Jesus. And through his teaching and his miracles, through his death and his resurrection and his ascension up into heaven, that he begins a plan to restore the earth. That he promises that one day he'll remake this earth where there will be no more tears and there will be no more pain and no more suffering. That he will eradicate the sins that have been done to us and the sins that we have done, he will forgive. And then he tells us one of the most wonderful things of all, that we get to participate in that, that we get to be the people who say, this is not just about accumulating money and having that be our God and that we use God in service of accumulating money, but that we can serve God, that we can use this whole world in that direction, that we can go off to college and share our faith with our friends and our friends can go around and start churches in new cities. And so my friends, this story of the gospel, of the, of the good news of Jesus, that we get to participate in it, this is why we read scripture. This is why we recite it together. This is why we read it at home daily. It's not so that we can check a box. It's not so that we can know information. It's so that we can have an alternate story, that we can have an alternate kind of spiritual eyes that see the world for what it is that we read scripture and we pray and we meditate on it and we gather together so that we can recalibrate our eyes to see the universe as God sees it. That we don't have a bad eye that only sees what we don't have, but that we have a generous eyes that sees what God has given us as a gift. 
So in addition to seeing the world as God sees it, as we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're also called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so I think a second thing that we can see in this passage is that in many ways, an evil eye is one that sees people as objects of comparison. But a generous eye is one that sees people in need of God's redemption. So Proverbs 23, verse 6 says this. It says, do not eat the food of a stingy man. Again, literally, this says a man with an evil eye. Do not eat the food of a man with an evil eye. Do not crave his delicacies. For he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. So a stingy man, a man with an evil eye, is someone who, even when he gives something to you, is always thinking about what it's going to cost him. He's always comparing himself to one another. And I saw a, a, a study that was done on people's uh, desire for income. And they would ask people if they would rather have $100,000 or or, and live in a neighborhood where everybody else made $200,000. Or would they rather make only $50,000 but live in a neighborhood where everybody else made twenty-five? So would they rather get more money but live in a neighborhood where everybody else made more than them? Or would they rather get less money and live in a neighborhood where they were the one that had the most amount of money? And believe it or not, a lot of people chose that second option. A lot of people would rather get less money but feel richer than everybody around them than get more money but feel poorer than those around them. I think this is part of what Jesus is saying is that we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another. And And when we do that, we cannot have generous eyes toward the men and women who are around us on a daily basis. And I think in in Jesus' own life, he demonstrates this kind of generosity of eyes. The way that he would see men and women was so powerfully instructive to us. So I want to tell two of those stories. In John 3 and in John 4, he encounters a man in the darkness and a woman in in the light of day, a man at midnight and a woman at high noon. And in the middle of those, between those two stories, is the famous John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then Jesus goes on to talk about light and darkness like we're doing in our passage. So I want to tell you a little bit about John 3. I just want to retell you the story of of Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of the uh, Pharisees, one of the leaders there of of the sort of church of their day. And he wasn't really sure about Jesus. He seems to be a little bit skeptical. He knew something special was happening, but he wasn't sure. And so to cause no problems with his other religious leaders, he comes to Jesus secretly at night in the darkness. And so this is supposed to tell us that he has a a kind of spiritual blindness. But I think it also tells us something about the heart of our Savior Jesus. It says that Jesus was the kind of man who was known to accept people as they are, even when it was inconvenient to him. That he had developed a reputation that said people can come to him and he would take them as they are. So as Jesus was asked questions by Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is trying to understand, Jesus gently uh, gently pushes him along to the truth and tells him about who he is. And ultimately, Nicodemus comes to faith in Jesus. And that later on, we see in the Gospel of John that that Nicodemus actually defends Jesus in front of all the other Pharisees. And at the end of Jesus's life, when he's being buried by the secret disciple, Joseph, Nicodemus is, is seen as a public disciple of Jesus. And so Nicodemus's uh, faith in many ways comes about because Jesus had a kind of generous eyes to him that allowed him to come even when it was inconvenient to him. And sometimes we're going to need to be able to share our faith at times where it is inconvenient. At the same time, we see with Nicodemus that we can't have a bold faith if we have something to hide, right? 
Nicodemus seemed to have something to hide. He wasn't sure about his faith in Jesus. And those of us, if we have sort of secret sins that we're harboring, if we have things that have brought us deep shame, we need to bring those things out into the light in order to have generous eyes. If we have something to hide, we'll never be able to see people as they truly are. And so if you have a sin in your own life that you need to confess, I urge you to bring it out. Bring it to a brother or sister. Tell them about those things. Bring that out into the light and let God's light and forgiveness come into that, because that will allow you to then be able to be free to talk with other people. So then if, if Nicodemus comes in the night, the woman at the well comes in the middle of the day. And sometimes the way this story is told is that in the middle of the day at high noon, that's when only bad people would come to the well. And then as we read on in the story, we see that Jesus offers her living water, but then he also tells her that she's had five husbands and the man that she's with now is not her husband. And then they go on to have a theological discussion and she goes on and she tells her village about the Jesus whom she now believes in. Well, believe it or not, the, the way that we sometimes tell the story is not a particularly generous way of telling the story. Because first off, in, in every commentary I've ever read, they've never been able to find any records of noon being a time for bad people or outcasts. Noon was actually just a perfectly fine time to go get water. So that's not really true. She's not an outcast. She's just getting water in the middle of the day. But she's coming in the light and she's seeking the light of Jesus. And also this idea that she had five different husbands. Sometimes we, we say this is that she was a woman in sin. But the reality is that a woman in the ancient Near Eastern world might have married at a very young age, at 12 or 13 or 14 or 15, to a much older man who would very likely die before her. And so the only way for her to be able to survive would be to marry again. But also, only men can initiate divorce in that culture. So she wasn't serially divorcing. She was getting serially divorced. And so the, the reason why maybe she wasn't actually married to a man at that time, the man that she was with, could have been because he was a Roman citizen and wasn't allowed to legally marry her or because he was a priest, or it could have been because she was forced to be a concubine. And so I think in Jesus's way, what he is doing is he's seeing the woman at the well with a kind of generous eyes. He's breaking all the cultural norms because first off, men weren't supposed to speak to women. They weren't supposed to speak to women of different races and ethnicities for sure, and that she was. And they certainly weren't supposed to talk about the things of God and theology. But Jesus breaks down all of these cultural norms, and then he sees her, and he sees her pain. He sees the sins done to her and the sins that she's done, and he sees her for who she is. And at that moment, she then begins to start to shift, and she begins to explore spiritual things with him and talks to him about where they should worship. And Jesus then tells her about who the true God is and where true worship should happen to him and to the true God. And so then she responds by saying, and she goes back to her village and she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. In other words, come see a man who saw me for who I really am, who saw my pain, who saw my sin, and who loved me anyways, who had generous eyes to me, that Jesus was able to perceive the spiritual need behind the present situation. And we often say that people don't care how much you know until they know how much it is that you care. And this is why we want to cultivate healthy eyes or generous eyes in our own lives. And so I ask you, friends, who are the people around you that you need to see with more generous eyes? You know, in our, in our current world, um, the, the two commands of God are to love him and to love our neighbor. But as we think about our neighbors around us, 
We often know more about the, about the marriages and the lives of soccer players and of Bollywood actresses, right? We know more about the people that we read online than about the people who live right around us. And this is a call for us to be involved in people's lives, to be asking them active questions, to be asking them about what's going on in their life, and to see it in the most generous way possible. To recognize that those friends who are a little bit prickly may be that way because they've suffered great loss like the woman at the well, or they may be exploring Jesus like Nicodemus was, and we want to be there for them at inconvenient times. So the evil eye constantly is making us see people as objects of comparison, but the generous eye is one that sees people as in need of of being recipients of God's grace. Well, a third thing I think we can see is that this same idea about our eyes being healthy, our eyes being bad, is also in Luke. But here, Jesus uses it in a different way. So Jesus is this genius communicator that has these really fascinating metaphors, but sometimes he uses them in different ways. In Matthew, he uses it to talk about wealth and generosity. He uses it to talk about the ways that we see our treasures on earth or our treasures in heaven. But in Luke, he does something different. He talks about what comes out of us, not just what we view. This is how it's, how it's stated in Luke. It says, no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. And he goes on to talk about if you have a healthy eye versus a, a dark eye, uh, or a healthy eye versus a bad eye, they'll be full of darkness or full of light. And then in Luke eleven thirty six, he says, if your whole body is full of light, having no darkness, then it will be wholly bright like when a lamp gives its rays out to you. And what Jesus is saying here is that a stingy eye is the one that can only talk about themselves. All they can share is about their own life. But a generous eye is one that the bright light of Jesus shines forth and shares the love of Jesus. In other words, when you have generous eyes, you not only see the world as God does and you see people as he does, you are so full of light that you have something to share with the people around you. But if you've cultivated a bad eye, one that is focused on what you don't have and the comparison with others, you become dark and depressed and you have nothing to share. And so when we think about our our social media worlds today, where we often share a lot of our lives, There's some interesting studies out there that say people who are the kind of people who compare themselves to others, when they go online, when they see a happy post about someone getting engaged or going on a great vacation or getting a new job, when they see that, they feel sad afterward. But people who are not prone to comparison, when they see those things, they're joyful. They're excited for people who are, who are having a good experience. We also find that study after study would say that those people who post about themselves day after day, who post selfies and information about themselves, that they are, they are viewed poorly and they view themselves poorly. That when all we have is a stingy eye that focuses on ourselves, that we end up being full of darkness. But if we have a generous eye, we are full of light and we can tell the story of God's goodness. And so I think about, you know, if you are here, if you are here just because you wanna be right, you wanna have the right religion, or you just want to go to heaven and that's all you're here for, then no one's really gonna wanna hear from you. No one wants to debate about religious ideas. No one wants to talk about which, which God is the right God. But if you have this kind of generous eye and you have a way of looking at the world that is, that is generous, both to the world around you and to the people around you, then you're full of a kind of light that allows you to share the goodness of God, allows you to be the kind of contagious person that God can use to share the joy of the gospel. And so in closing, here's what I would encourage for you. First off, like the author of Hebrews says, 
that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. The moths will eat it. The phone will break. But what is unseen is eternal. The souls of men and women that will one day be resurrected. So I want to encourage you to do three things today. As you leave today, I want you to encourage you to do these three things. The first one, just to take stock of your life, your desires in this new year, your disappointments and your joys. Do you see them as God sees them? Are you full of envy and frustration? Are you full of a kind of satisfaction and contentment because of the kinds of eyes that you've cultivated? Do you feel anxious about the future or do you trust that whatever comes, Jesus is suffering beside you? When you look at what's happened in your own life, do you see it as God wasn't fair to me or do you see God working in your life to refine you? When you look toward the future, are you frustrated? Are you anxious? Or do you see it with the kind of generosity that God does? Do you see it with a healthy kind of eye? So that in your own life. And then I would encourage you to think a little bit about the kinds of images that you pour into your mind. So every day we pull out phones and we look at billboards and it's as if we're pouring information into our eyes on a daily basis, just pouring it in there. I would want you to think about what is it that you're pouring into your own eyes? Now, if you are finding yourself that you are pouring into your own eyes things that you shouldn't see, if you're pouring into your eyes things that are sinful, I would encourage you to get off your phone and to get off your device, to confess your sins to someone else because it will make you feel better for a moment, but ultimately it won't and your body will be full of darkness. But I'll also say there are not just things that are sinful, but there are things that make us feel jealous, that make us look at other people with, with lustful hearts in ways that desire things that are not ours. And sometimes we are also pouring into our eyes fearfulness we're reading the news about what's happening in the world or what's happening down the street, and we are constantly stoking a sense of fear and anxiety. I want you to think about what it is that you're pouring into your eyes, and how is that cultivating the kind of eyes that you have to see the world? And third, I would also ask you to think about what it is that you share online and what it is that you share with other people. What are the primary stories that you're telling? Are you telling stories of your accomplishment are you telling stories about what you, what you believe and why you're right and why somebody else is wrong? Or are you filled with a kind of humor and kindness and celebration of God's goodness? Or do you have a kind of self-focus that's always inwardly directed? Or can you be outwardly directed to the goodness of God and the people around us? So I want you to take stock of your life, take stock of what you're pouring into your eyes, and take stock of what it is that you're pouring out. Are you filling yourself with the light of Jesus? Are you full of light so that you are pouring that light back out? Do you have good eyes? Do you have generous eyes? Or do you have a bad eye because God has been good? The gospel says that God made the world to be good, but we introduce sin into the world, the sins that are done to us and the sins that we do to others and against God. But God, through Jesus, sees you with generous eyes, and he has sent his son to die for you and to bring new life and resurrection. He sees you with generous eyes and he invites you to come into his love. Whether you have, have believed in him for a long time or never believed in him, I invite you today to place your, your faith and your trust in Jesus that he might grant you generous eyes, that you could see the world as God sees it and you could see the people around you as God sees them. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church, Redeemer Church of Dubai. I thank you for the Furmans and all the staff who are here who have, who have come from many different countries to come and to serve you, that they saw this city with a kind of generous eyes, not, not uh, enamored by its spectacle and by its tall buildings and by all of the, the huge things that are here, but they saw the people here. They saw the people who are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they came to encourage those who are believers and to encourage them to see the people around them as in need of God's grace. God, as we go out today and we go and we have lunch and we think about all the things in our day, I pray that we wouldn't just see them as, as things that we need to accomplish and tasks that we need to do, but I pray that you would give us a kind of spiritually minded eye, a kind of generous eye, a kind of singular eye that would be focused on you, that we would serve you and would use our life in service of you, that we would not serve our, that we would not uh, love our life so much that we see you as secondary, but that you would be our primary, that you would be the one thing that we serve, our master, and that would affect everything that we do. Father, give us new eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray all these things in your son's name and by your spirit. Amen.